0: Brilliant, do keep uh, Romans open. Uh, if you're sort of 11 to 18 and uh, you like one of these sheets, um, uh, do stick a hand up. There are some at the back. just got some questions on, might help you as we, we look through this together. Let me pray as we come to these words in the Romans. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you're the speaking God. And we thank you so much that you continue to speak to us. Uh, despite our listening or lack of listening. Uh, so please, our Father, speak to us this morning, and please work that miracle that we would hear and understand, that we'd understand and we'd know and we'd love. Uh, Lord, uh, please bring us to know the Lord Jesus more as you speak into our hearts for his name's sake. Amen. Well, Nick had been at Chessington Evangelical Church for 40 years. He'd served on the diaconate as a deacon for 20 years. He'd done a 10 year stint as a leader in the YPF. He'd never missed a committee meeting in his entire time at the church. He was a regular at the prayer meeting. Outside church, he'd been an active member of the Rotary Club, a respected member of the local community, a school governor. A proud grandfather. And Nick was a very decent sort of bloke. And quietly he knew it. He just knew he was a bit better than other people. He was a good Christian. Oh, he trusted that Jesus died for him, but he knew he was a good Christian. And so did everyone who went to his funeral just after he died, peacefully in his sleep, aged 84. They knew he'd gone to heaven. I mean, after all, there had never been a keener servant of the church than Nick. Velma never had a chance to get to church after she became a Christian. They don't let you out of death row at North Carolina's state penitentiary. Especially after you've murdered four people by poisoning them, one of them being your own mother. But when she heard the gospel, the good news about Jesus from Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, she was convicted She knew in her heart, in her own words, that they were her crimes, they were her sins, and she was guilty of them. And therefore she came to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. When she was executed by lethal injection in 1986, the prison warder who oversaw her death said that he'd never seen anyone so peaceful, so radiant as they died. Velma Barfield was ready to meet God because she knew Jesus had died in her place now which of those two do you think had a right relationship with God but because Romans 10 says that Velma Barfield is enjoying paradise with Jesus now and that Nick if he existed well he wouldn't be in heaven he'd be facing God's right anger for trusting in himself now, that's the shock of this passage. It says righteousness, a right relationship with God, only comes by faith in Jesus. Now, just to put it in a bit of context where we are in Romans, last week we saw that Paul is dealing with the issue that God made some promises to his Old Testament people, Israel. Those promises all pointed to Jesus. But here's the problem. Not all the Israelites had believed in Jesus. In, in fact, the, the Jewish religious authorities been at the heart of putting Jesus to death. So, so was it that God's promises hadn't worked? Well, we'll know, what Paul said, actually, if you read the Old Testament, you'll see that it was always God's plan that he has mercy and compassion on people who he has chosen, not on everyone and therefore as paul says well why can god have mercy and compassion on some people and not others well paul said that's because he's god and that's because of the way he's ordered history so that his people can see that he is a loving compassionate and merciful god that that he would choose to have a relationship with with people like us And Paul continues to to run with the the questions that that might come in the light of that argument. Uh, Questions about well, how how can that be fair? That's how our reading started. Look at verse 30 of chapter 9. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles, that's non-Jews, who did not pursue righteousness, have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Do you see what that means? It means, as one writer brilliantly put it, Christianity is not about people seeking God and finding him. Christianity is about some people seeking God and not finding him, while others don't seek God and are found by him. Otherwise, heaven, God's beautiful new creation, would be full of people wandering around with a a slightly smug look on their face going, hey, (laughs) looks like I found the truth. But in fact, heaven is full of people walking around with this this amazed look on their face, not quite sure why they're there, (laughs) astounded that there's a God who, who loves them in the Lord Jesus Christ like that. You see, the big question of Romans 10 is, is how can it be fair? Uh, and the reason, that the answer that Paul gives is, is well, because God makes you right with himself. That, that's what he does through Jesus. And it, it's only yours by faith. The God you ignore, the God you reject, the God you mistreat. Well, he is the one who searches you out and brings you to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So in in the two options, if you like trying hard to be a very good religious person, uh, trying to get right with God, or trusting that God has done everything for you in his son, the Lord Jesus, well, it's only the trusting Jesus option that works. And the Jews had that wrong, says Paul. Look at verse 32. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, But as if it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Uh, This stone that, that Paul talks about, it's quoted in the Old Testament in the prophet Isaiah. Paul's putting two quotes together there. And the stone is the Lord himself the stone is a hymn did you see that at the end of the verse this is a person the lord jesus and the jews they didn't want to follow jesus they stumbled over him they rejected him but, but paul says for the one who trusts in jesus they'll never be put to shame so, so those are the two two options on offer this morning admit that you're bankrupt before god and, and you need jesus You need him to pay your debt so that you can walk into heaven, clothed in his righteousness, utterly secure in what he's done for you with your head held high. Or go on thinking, well, I'm not that bad. I'm certainly not as bad as them. And I get a church. Trust or stumbling? Salvation or shame? Those are the two options. And it does really matter because look at Paul's passion in chapter 10, verse 1. He says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. See, those who don't trust in Jesus are in a dangerous place. They they stand guilty before a God who is rightfully angry with them. And so Paul says, I'm praying that they will come to Jesus. They'll they'll accept God. And the reason that he prays is, is that they need to realize, this is the first thing maybe you need to realize this morning, uh, that being a Christian, it's not about being very keen. It's not, it's not about being very keen. Because the Jews were keen. Look at, look at verse 2 with me. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. You see, the thing everyone needs to know is you you can't get right with God by your own effort. However keen you are, you've got to accept the righteousness, the right relationship He offers you. And the the Jews of Jesus' day had made this basic error. Uh, We see it as we look at the the religious leaders in in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're self-righteous. They think their religious efforts have made them right with God. So they reject the offer, of forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you think, why would anyone reject an offer of forgiveness, of free love from God? Well, it's because we don't want to submit to him. Do you see that at the end of verse 3? They would not submit to the righteousness of God. You see, having faith in Jesus is having faith in the one called Jesus Christ. And Christ is just a a term that means anointed king. He is God's righteousness. It's by coming to Jesus and being united to him that that Christ bears our sins upon the cross and that we are made right with God by his perfect life. But when we come to Jesus, when we say, I believe in Jesus, we say, I believe in the king. And if you have faith in the king, you have to submit to him it's an active thing and actually people therefore don't want to come to Jesus because they don't want to submit to God's king now how do we see this danger, danger in us in, in, in a church because I don't think there are many of us walking around thinking oh yeah yeah no I'm perfect <laughs> I don't need any forgiveness I don't think there are many of us even walking around thinking that I'm, I'm good enough for God I don't think that that we'd actively, anyone would would say here, I'm trusting in my own religious efforts. But I think we see this in ourselves when we quietly just think we're a bit better than others. And the way we think we're better than others is is we we get a bit frustrated when they don't seem to be trying quite as hard as we are. We just get a bit irritated by them. We can see that in our our heart attitude of, of comparison. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm serving a bit better than they are. uh, At our our previous church in, in Preston, the downstairs hall had a linoleum floor. You remember those? Had to be mopped from time to time. And humble servant of the Lord Jesus Christ that I am, I occasionally would opt to mop the linoleum floor. The problem was, usually no one around when I'm doing it. So I was always glad when I was mopping the floor... When someone came in, preferably an old lady, and went, oh, look, the vicar's mopping the floor. Oh, yes. I'm humbling mopping the floor, and I'm glad you've seen me. One day I had a nightmare. I was mopping. It's a huge floor. i mopping the floor for ages. I was sweating buckets, and no one came. Absolutely no one at all. And then I had this brilliant thought in my head, but Jesus can see me. <laughs> see, you see that's, that's a hard attitude that quietly thinks, oh, yeah, no, I'm quite good at this Christian thing. I'm a floor mopper. yeah. You're not a floor mopper. (laughs) But I am. I'm a bit keener than you are. But but you see, being right with God, it's not about our own efforts. Uh, The Jewish religious leaders, they thought they could keep God's law. Uh, And by doing so, they entirely missed the point of God's law. Do you see that in verse 4? Christ is the culmination of the law so that they may be righteousness for everyone who believes when paul says christ is the culmination of of the old testament law he's saying if you are on a train called law jesus is the station it's taking you to at the end of the line god's law was designed to take you to jesus so you received a right relationship with god by believing in his promises You see, you can try all you like to to please God, but in the end, however zealous, however keen you are, if you're not trusting in Jesus, you're wasting your time. Uh, There was an article not too long ago about how they're they're thinking about banning parents from teaching their kids to drive uh, for safety reasons. Apparently, it's not because there have been accidents with learners in that sort of heated argument about, you cannot approach the roundabout that quickly. Yes, I can. It's not because of that. It's apparently because parents teach their children to drive incorrectly. We very zealously teach them our bad habits. And the result is, at best, they fail their driving test. At worst, they kill people on the road because they begin to drive like us. You see, it's not just being keen or passionate that there is a right and wrong way to drive. And the same with a relationship with God. You see, our our culture says it it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're really keen about it, as long as you're really passionate. In fact, the more passionate about it you are, the less I can criticize you for it. But God doesn't agree. He says, no, it's only by trusting in the Lord Jesus. That's the only way. However keen you are, you can be right with me. It's why, by the way, we must never teach moralism to our children. You know know that? We say it. I've heard myself say it. All I want you to do, darling, is to to try your hardest. Do your best. Now, that's true maybe when it comes to algebra, but it's never true when it comes to behavior. Our hardest, our best, will never be enough in terms of our behavior. And it's absolutely lethal when it comes to being right with God. Because however charming and kind and nice and pleasant our kids are, I wish, they desperately need to hear of Jesus every day because he's the only way they can be right with God. They need to learn, no, you're trying your hardest, will never be good enough. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because here's the second thing. If it's not about being very keen, it's always been about faith in Jesus. You see, we can't accuse God of shifting the goalposts. Some people do that, you know. They say, well, in the Old Testament, God had this law, and you had to sort of keep it and be a good person. But then we're okay, because he sent Jesus, and he's changed, he's changed his mind. Now just trust in Jesus. And Paul says, no, it's always been about trusting in the God of love and forgiveness through his promises he says look the law shows you that here's the problem look down at verse 5 Moses God gave the law through Moses Uh, in the book of Exodus he says Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by law the person who does these things will live by them it's a quote from Leviticus chapter 18 point simple you have to do the whole law if you want to live by it you can't break any of it if you want to get right with God and frankly, that's, that's impossible. It's an impossible task. Now, was God setting people an impossible task? No, the problem was they'd misunderstood the purpose of the law. Now, look what Paul says in, in verse 6. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. He's quoting again from the Old Testament, from another book with law in it, Deuteronomy. He starts off with a a little phrase from from Deuteronomy chapter 9. Do not say in your heart. Do you you know what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 9 after that? Here's what it says. Do not say in your heart, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. Moses goes on to remind them, from the day you left Egypt until you arrived here, you've been a rebellious against the Lord. You see, they're standing, having been taken out of Egypt, they're standing looking over the promised land that God's going to give them, and Moses says, you you, you lot, be careful, don't say in your heart, hey, I'm here because I'm righteous with God, haven't I done well? No, he says, remember, you lot, you've been rebellious the whole time we brought you out of Egypt, you're only going into God's promised land because he is gracious and compassionate. And then Paul goes on to to quote from Deuteronomy chapter 30 and talks about the Lord Jesus Christ. He he says in in verse 6, it's not that you have to drag God down from heaven. No, no, in humility, he's come down from heaven in the person of his son, Jesus. It's not that you have to somehow drag Jesus up and, and make him a living reality in your life. No, no, God has raised him from the dead. There are no spiritual techniques you can perform to experience God's presence. There's, there's no moral hard work you have to do to get right with him. There are no mystical practices that will make a, a jot of difference in your status with God. No, throughout the whole Bible, God's law, the purpose is to point you to the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, for the Old Testament people, that was seen in the promises of God. That that if they trust that when they fail to keep God's law, that the sacrifice they made would would be enough for their forgiveness, their relationship with God was always restored. But but for us now, the the purpose of God's law is to take us to Jesus' death on the cross. That if we trust that Christ died for us, we know we're right with God. You see, the Old Testament law was a big signpost from God saying, trust me, trust me. See, lots of people think um, that God's law is a bit like a GCSE exam. You know, sorry for any here who are doing those at the moment. This is a little bit close to the bone. But you take your GCSE exams, you get a grade at the end. So we take God's law, at the end, we get a grade good person, bad person, good people, heaven, bad people, punished. Yeah? But when actually God's law is, is much like going to the doctor for a diagnosis. It sets us a standard. The doctor says, do you find it hard to walk up the stairs? Oh, yeah, that's quite hard. Do you get short of breath when you walk up a steep hill? Oh, yeah, I get short of breath. Do you get a bit dizzy when you, you bend over? Oh, yeah, I get dizzy when I bend over. No, I think you've, you've got a heart condition. But don't worry. We can cure that. Trust me. So we compare ourselves to God's standard and the law, and we see I need a trust God who is compassionate and loving and will forgive me. Look at verse 9 with me. Therefore, if you have faith, what is it? If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's how you're made right with God, says Paul. You you outwardly acknowledge that Jesus is is the Lord of of not just your life, but of creation. And you inwardly trust that he was raised from the dead. Why does Paul talk about the resurrection of Jesus rather than the cross? because it's when Jesus burst out of the tomb that we know that his death on the cross paid for all of our sin of the ways that we have disobeyed God and and failed to love him and other people the resurrection was that stamp of approval so if you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead you know that all your sin has been forgiven now Paul rubs it in He makes it very clear who this is for verse 10, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved if you believe that in your heart you're justified, you're declared right before God, innocent before him and do you see who this is for verse 11 as scripture says anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame anyone this is for Everyone. In fact, look at look at nine verse thirty-three. You can see he's already quoted this. The end of nine verse thirty-three. Do you see the difference between nine thirty-three and chapter ten verse eleven? Nine thirty-three, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. But Paul says, no, no, no. Because of Jesus, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Just just pause with me for, for a little moment, in verse eleven. Because this is a very precious promise brought with the very blood of God. And it's a promise for you. I mean, I mean if you fit into the category of anyone, <laughs> then th- this is a promise for you. You will never be put to shame if you trust in Him. You know, you know that feeling? That feeling of the fear of people knowing? The fear that people will reject you if they knew what you were really like or, or what you'd done, maybe mock you, humiliate you. It's a feeling that's, that's crippling the lives of, of millions upon millions of people across the world, maybe more today than, than ever, because that feeling has been amplified to a deafening roar by social media. Your shame could be exposed, the click of a, of a mouse but for those who trust in Christ they never need fear feeling like that before God they will never be put to shame anyone? that's anyone never that's always he will never hold it against you he will never mock you or condemn you or expose you though he knows everything he knows everything and yet, the Bible, when it wants to talk about our relationship with God, says he, he shelters us in the shadow of his wings. He clothes us in his own royal righteousness. He washes us so that we are perfectly spotless and clean. If you have faith in Christ, you will never be put to shame. That, that's for anyone. Uh, Romans chapter 3 told us there is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and Romans chapter 10 verse 12 tells us there is no difference between Jew and Gentile the same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him anyone absolutely anyone no difference we're all guilty and the Lord will richly bless us, will pour his blessings in Jesus upon us. No difference, no distinction. God has no favorites. He doesn't, doesn't choose black over white or white over black. He doesn't choose women over men. He doesn't choose straight over gay. God has no distinction. Anyone who trusts in Christ, never put to shame. And this is very personal. All the U's in this little section of, of Romans, they're all singular. If you personally confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you personally believe in his heart that he was raised from the dead, then you will never be put to shame. That doesn't matter if you've, you've been at CEC all your life. It doesn't even matter if you're the pastor. The only way for us to be saved is to personally put our trust in Jesus. Have you done that? It starts starts by talking to him. That's how any relationship starts. It starts by saying, Jesus, you are my Lord, and I believe you you rose from the dead, having died for all my sin, and I trust in you, and I rejoice. I will never be put to shame. It's as simple as that. To call on the Lord. And if if you haven't done that, can can I urge you to do that? That you might know that feeling of, of freedom and forgiveness before the Lord now and forever, because when will you be put to shame? Never. That's never. You got that? Never. (laughs) There's no time that doesn't fit in the never category. But if people are going to do this, they need to hear. Here's the last thing. Faith comes through hearing the word of Christ. Not the world's snappiest title, but the best I could do. Faith comes through hearing the word of Christ. It's a simple point that should revolutionize our lives. Look at verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And, and how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And you think, oh, praise God, <laughs> Daph and Matt and some others do the preaching, that's not me. But, but actually, this word preaching is really a word for proclaiming, it's for heralding some good news. And Jesus sends all his disciples into the world to proclaim the good news about him. Verse 15. And how can they, anyone preach, proclaim, unless they are sent? As is it written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, this is, again, is a quote from Isaiah, Isaiah 52. I once heard a very interesting conversation between some older ladies about their different chiropodists. Uh, but this is not about the beauty of bunions. Okay? This is... This is about uh, a messenger coming over the hills uh, to a city that's been under siege, proclaiming the victory that has been won in battle, that their enemies have been defeated. Uh, the D-Day commemorations have been big this week, haven't they? And I was hearing on the news on, on a radio program that uh, they had appointed, the BBC appointed at, just before D-Day, an extra something like three to 4,000 extra journalist war correspondents so that as the the armies landed in europe and started to win victories the the good news was reported back so that people could see that that there was victory being won now, now what this passage is saying is we have beautiful feet you've got beautiful feet really because you've got feet that god has given you to take good news to people Good news of his victory, his victory over sin and, and death through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so why not why not picture the people you know who don't yet trust in Jesus? Maybe, maybe start with, with family, or maybe then go to your friends, maybe some of those people you've known for years, maybe, maybe colleagues, maybe there's those people you say hello to on the school gate, or or the, the same person you, you talk to in the, the paper shop each day. Maybe there's the lad who does, does your garden. I don't know. Maybe they're just your neighbors. People who don't know Jesus. And they need to be told. But Because unless they're told, they can't believe. And unless they believe, they can't be saved. And we've got beautiful feet to tell them. Do you see how Paul responds to that news in chapter 9 that God is in control of all things and he chooses people he chapter 10 verse 1 he prays I pray that they'd be saved and chapter 10 verse 17 he proclaims good news because 10 verse 17 consequently faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ That's why everything we do here at Chessington Evangelical Church, we've got to have the word about Christ at the center of it. I mean, we need to tell people about Jesus. They can get moralism elsewhere. They can be encouraged to recycle elsewhere. They can be told how satisfying their life can be in their Sunday supplement. But only here will they ever hear about Jesus. In every activity we do, because we want them to be saved. Now, the problem with Israel was that they'd heard and rejected. Did you see that verse 16? But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message. Right? And that's another quote from Isaiah. It comes from those servant songs we studied in the evening just before Easter. Songs that tell us that when God's Christ, his king, came, he came to suffer, to bear a punishment for his people. And that's the very thing that the Jews couldn't accept because it required humility to think that Christ had to die for them. It wasn't that they, they didn't have enough evidence. No, they had all they needed to believe. Verse 18, but I asked, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. It's from Psalm 19 where God says, The whole of creation declares my glory. But what do people do, Romans 1 told us? They suppress the glory of God. They push down the knowledge of God and the world around them. Psalm 19 goes on to say, God's law is perfect. It tells us about him. But what did the Jews do? They took the law and didn't trust his promises. And yet God, in his love, still uses their rejection to bring them to himself. He says in verse 19, Paul, quoting the Old Testament, That God is going to make envious the people of Israel by the way he brings non Jews, Gentiles, to trust in Jesus. And look in verse 21, God's ongoing attitude to those who've rejected him. Verse 21, but concerning Israel, he says, All day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. It's not that God's rejected the Jews. Now, he stands with open arms waiting for his disobedient children to come home. You see, the way of self-righteousness is to turn away from God, to not accept his forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ, to turn your back on him rather than admit you need him. And you don't have to be a Jew to do that. It might be here and you're, you're not yet a Christian. And perhaps the thing that's holding you back is you just can't Admit that you desperately can't sort your own life out. You refuse to accept that, that God would have to come in the person of His son and, and be humbled to a brutal death on the cross for you. And yet even though you won't accept that, God is there with, with open arms. He holds out his arms to an obstinate people, and He longs for you to come to him and call on him for forgiveness. See, the problem's not lack of evidence. There's more than enough evidence of the person of Jesus Christ. The problem is, will you come to him? And for those of us who know this Lord Jesus, for those of us who rejoice today in knowing we'll never be put to shame, if our God can stand with open arms, ready to welcome in those who've rejected him, surely we who have beautiful feet should be those who will take that message to anyone because that's who can come to him, and everyone, because that's who he wants to hear it, that they, they might be saved and never put to shame. Romans ten fourteen. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach to them unless they're sent? As it is written. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Let's pray together.